This is Season 6, Episode 5 of Beyond the Illusion. Alchemy and Illumination with Lisan Mullings. Before we did this recording with Lisan, I'd heard a lot of really good things about her from some of my friends, and I'd even met her once briefly before. But I didn't really know the extent of her knowledge and the many types of services that she offers. In fact, after spending some time on her website, it's clear that this recorded conversation you're about to hear barely scratches the surface of what Lisan has to offer. I highly recommend you check out her website to get a better idea of what Lisan does. It's also aesthetically beautiful and has an awesome name, the Temple of Alchemy and Illumination.com. Let's go to that conversation with Lisan Mullings, Tiana Roser, and myself, Tim Howe. lifetime you were born with your spiritual remembrance or if you know like many of us if you have a story of how and when you sort of awaken spiritually it's yes and no so from a very young age i could see these beings around me i call them the masters or the elders and i thought everyone else could also so i would point it out to my dad that I saw Jesus and I saw this other one and they told me their names and thank God for my dad or else I probably would have been put in a, a little um, a pediatric psych unit. So the gift of seeing is always something that I just seeing into other dimensions. So not just seeing a person's what I call their personal Akashic records, meaning their soul's timeline, not only as humans, but in other dimensional places. So I could always see into the other dimensions and the earth felt like the illusion to me always because it was so limited. So I, I felt like I always had it upside down in a way. So I tucked it away very nicely, went off to boarding school and so on and became a really normal person. And then um, when I was about 23 years old, a series of what I call unfortunate events happened, but it was my soul stepping in to do like this pattern interrupt of a life that I had embraced as just being an ordinary human. <laughs> a humanoid is what I call it. <laughs> and so I, I went through a really bad dark night of the soul and the place that um, that really helped me to understand that I couldn't do the business as usual. And it was my way back home to myself, to the elders, to the knowing of myself and to the knowing of, of this place as just a grand illusion. That was the beginning of the reawakening in this lifetime. Yeah, I think you mentioned somewhere on your website that you have quite a bit of, of training and knowledge that you that are, you know, not standard for everyday lay people. And I was wondering if you could kind of give us a little rundown of, you know, how you came across the knowledge that you have and, and the the I guess the learnings that you've been through. First, I'll clarify that I'm a Gemini ruled by fives. <laughs> so, pretty. Geminis are very curious. Five, 
five is the number of freedom and change. And so I, I consider myself a lifelong learner. So I'm always, um, I, I guess I'm always open to learning something new. And this place that I call the great return home to myself, I went through a period of time when I wanted to prove it. I wanted to prove that I wasn't crazy. So any time I would hear of a tradition or a lineage stream that felt like they were teaching something out of the ordinary, I was drawn to that. They felt like my home. So my Eastern Kula, my Shaivite lineage, they're home to me because they're not speaking business as usual. The indigenous people, the shamans, they feel like home to me because they're not speaking the usual conversation. So I guess it's a, it, was, um, it was a part of my remembering myself that led me through the meandering and also to some of the some of the traumas that I took on as a soul being in this incarnation. I oftentimes say to my guides, why did you all let me sign up for this? Where I experienced every trauma that would be possible. I wrote that into my soul agreement. And I realized that in being drawn to these different areas of studies and learnings that was not only healing myself, but also trying to understand what is the nature of this earth school and what are we about this grand experiment in a way. So leaning into communities and teachers and mentors who were speaking what I call my language was not only an escape for me or a reassurance for me, but it was a place that I found to be comforted because of the familiarity. And then now you have all of that to offer to others. Yeah, I find that so many of us that work in the healing fields, yeah, we will come in that kind of that chironic, chiron wounded healer journey of coming in and experiencing certain uh, traumas or challenges that we can work through within ourselves, and then have that to offer to the collective. I'm curious also if Perhaps, you know, I, I'm really drawn to, um, I saw, you know, things on about alchemy and about Egypt on your website. And I'm curious if you had like maybe past life remembrances of doing that kind of work in other lifetimes. Yeah, for sure. Of all the places on the planet, the land of Egypt is the second place that I've incarnated in mostly. So it feels like home to me going back to Egypt in this lifetime was a reaffirmation of this place in me that always felt like alchemy was normal. I oftentimes joke that alchemy must have been my first word I spoke. It wasn't, but <laughs> I think it was the, um, the needing to have people realize that every moment of life is alchemy. The potential for alchemy exists every, you know, in every action, everything that happens in our life. We can always raise it to what I call the gold standard, this place of the illuminated um, outcome. So Egypt really fed that for me. 
as I traveled through these various temples and so on and I could remember just where this pull towards alchemy came in plus I'm also a seventh ray being so alchemy and illumination is the seventh ray of Saint Germain and so that for me that's interesting that you bring that up because that's been a big study of mine this year that I was drawn or called to was to study the seven rays. And so <laughs> no coincidence that you brought that up. I would love, you know, we actually have not ever specifically covered alchemy or the rays or anything like that for people who like, what, what would be your definition of alchemy since it was maybe the first word that you spoke in this life <laughs> or the second. <laughs> yeah. Alchemy to me is an opportunity to really up level the human experience to one of such pristine awakening to the light that we are. So while alchemy might be felt like, Oh, it's in a dusty room somewhere by some medieval person. I believe that if a human could only understand that alchemy is as commonplace as up-leveling and returning to remembering self as light. And so that for me is alchemy and it's actually the way that I pull in the gifts to support others in their healing. That's a wonderful definition. Yeah, I know. I, I actually do remember a past life, a medieval past life where I was a male alchemist, you know, like you're saying, like with all this in some dusty room somewhere with test tubes and things. But I think a lot of times, yeah, when somebody hears that word, they think of like, oh, you're trying to take this base metal and turn it into gold rather than um, symbolically, as you're saying, where all of, like you mentioned, like all of this trauma working through that trauma and awakening into consciousness, that's alchemy. You're taking the base metal of the difficult experiences in our life, which I think, particularly in the times that we're in now, a lot of people have a lot of base metal to work with, right? A lot of challenges that we, it's coming because, you know, we have that opportunity to, to alchemize it and to create a wonderful shift and awakening in the world right now. So I love your definition. Thank you. So I saw that you guide people to Egypt, like sacred retreats. Is that right? Yes, I do. And we have one coming up in December for anyone who, uh, who feel like they like to return to, to Egypt. It's, um, it's really fascinating for me to witness people remember past lives in Egypt. And I could tell you many stories of just witnessing the breakthroughs and the awakenings that happen for people within these ancient temples where the energies are still so strong. Uh, like in Isis temple, I say it's like the living Isis is still there. In Sekhmet's temple, it's still there. And then of course, my favorite of all the temples, Edfu temple that holds the, the alchemy room which I, um, I stood in that temple and I was home and it was so familiar to me and then remembered that I was very fundamental in gifting the land of Egypt, that, that alchemy room in Edfu. So yeah, Egypt is home for me in, a, in an interesting way. What do you think, I mean, of course, ancient Egypt spans quite a lot of time, but you know, those spiritual times and compared to the times that we're in now 
Like, is there a way that you take those ancient teachings, but then need to shift it in some way for our modern times? Yeah, for sure. You know, what I found, Tiana, is that the lines are very blurry. Just witnessing people stepping into remembering past lives and what I call their multidimensional selves. I realize that it's not like ancient Egypt is not as far away as we think. People stand in that room or stand in an activation that I facilitate and suddenly they're back in time and standing there in, in Egypt. So I tend to call Egypt ancient Egypt because the medicine, the alchemy is still so powerful that it's like no time has passed. And that's, the co that's a comment that I hear over and over. I believe that now more than any other time, people are really choosing to remember themselves beyond the, what I call the human experience of, I'm just here to heal my wounds and traumas. <laughs> Actually, I don't, I, you know, I, I say to people, I'm not a healer. I don't, I don't, you're not wounded. You're not broken. And the standing in that remembrance actually shifts the thing. Um, so people are really being drawn to, I think, these ancient power places that hold so much energy, these nylonic meridians, these ley lines, because they're seeking to speed up their evolutionary process. And it does happen, just like, you know, going through these ley lines in, say, the south of France, speeds up the remembrance of past lives of mastery and soul gifts. So going back to Egypt to me is just retrieving soul gifts that's, that helps a person to ascend and evolve much faster. It cuts the learning. I wish I had done that 20 years ago. <laughs> everything me a lot of time <laughs> everything in our divine timing that's what i remind myself but something else that you'd said before about you know being the sort of seventh ray being yeah and then you use the word magic and i think like yes when we think or for me when i think of egypt there is like that magical energy that we've been missing that we're being called back to and that in the time on the planet this seventh ray is becoming you know we're shifting from the sixth ray to the seventh ray and we are moving more into that magical energy so it makes sense to go to these places that awaken the remembrance that yeah it's the world's not just mundane and flat the way that it can feel like you said and that we can balance the mundane and and the magical at the same time yeah yeah for sure you know it it is something about this time too and and i feel like because there are probably a lot of reasons why but i feel like there's a lot more energy available for this type of work that we're doing to kind of transform ourselves. I've actually had that experience that you're talking about where you kind of lose this, um, this story that we tell ourselves about time. So we tell ourselves that it's linear progression. If you kind of let go of that story, then you can sense in a way that yes, everything is happening right now. Right. And so, there's a way to connect with these other parts of yourself that exist right now, you know? And so I've had that experience and it's a, it's a weird, it's a really weird feeling, but you know, I, I also feel like that is part of 
this energy that's available to us now that that is a, like a, a side effect or something of it and yeah and it's it's very interesting because you know when i have these moments it's you do remember like hey you know what what's happening now is equally as important as all these periods in the past that we consider sacred or, or magical you know but right now that's also the same thing it's happening right now you know it's just that we're living through it so it's harder to see it that way you know because we don't have that perspective i wanted to ask you when people go through these type of experiences what is the general shift in their life do you notice this or maybe for yourself even because i noticed for myself that you know when i started really focusing on myself and i kind of pulled myself out of the mundane and stopped resisting what i consider to be like negative experiences that i really started to understand myself and the world in a different way and i felt like i i was transforming faster even though it was seemed to be more painful because i was having these events of like <laughs> of suffering really and and that's where we change and we grow so do, is that something that you see happen in people's lives and and how was that for for you in your life yeah for sure yeah that tim i love that this is this is this is like the heart of, of my mission that you've just described, right? I call it, I know for me, when I fell into that crazy dark night of the soul almost three decades ago, when my soul stepped in and did an intervention and says, stop behaving as if you're only human. My guides, uh, who thankfully I put them in the closet, but they were always there and we all have them. And the multidimensional beings, the ascended ones, the light rams, the galactic ones, they're always waiting. They're deeply devoted to us. They love us so much. If only we could understand how much they admire the fact that we're these tiny, brave humans who took on this mission to go through all the pains and the trauma to bring something to this planet, even if it's triumphing over the pains and the trauma. That too is, is this victory. I found that the only way that I was able to do it was once I tapped into the remembrance of myself as not just the tiny human, and I started sourcing from my multidimensional self it was the equivalent of what would be that near-death experience. We don't all have to have a near-death experience, although I did have one on ayahuasca. <laughs> we'll talk about it some other time off air. But um, we don't all have to have a near-death experience to connect with the multidimensional feel and our limitless self. What I love to witness in my practice, and, and that's what happened for me, I call it beyond healing. So people come and they want to heal this and they want to heal that. And that's lovely, right? We're very present to, to what wounds us or what the traumas are. But the faster path is to step outside of that human experience to access this multidimensional self and allow that self, that greater self, to hold the tiny human and to say, it's okay, little one, you're not that, you're not your wound, you're not this trauma. Who you are is way beyond any of that. And so that's what happened for me and that's the way that I support 
others the one of the very first things that I do in any program I'm working well outside of my mystery school but in my healing program I connect people with their their limitless self like even the essence of that self because once they're able to drop into I'm not this I'm not just the story I'm not my father hated me I'm not my mother forsake me I'm not any of that the healing goes faster because uh, they have unhook themselves from just the tiny human and realize the multi-dimensional and simultaneously there's the remembering of guides and you know there are all these other beings who are cheering for me rooting me on so people start seeing their guides and remembering you know some of these teachers from old timelines that are still waiting for us to to you know to invite them in again to to support us in this journey it's a long answer. <laughs> no, it's beautiful. And, you know, and it's almost like so obvious and yet it's not right. Like <laughs> people struggle at this space, but like you're saying, we have to become aware and experience and remember we're the one that wrote the play and we're the actor <laughs> and be able to uh, feel us, ourselves being both. You said kind of very off the cuff, like, oh, aside from my mystery school. And I was like, oh, mystery school. Tell us more. <laughs> <laughs> So I so didn't want to have a mystery school because, <laughs> you know, mystery schools have become this thing now. But um, and so much so that I don't highlight it a lot. Right. Um, there is maybe two classes about it on the website. So maybe about 10 years ago, some of my guides, they started sharing with me or reminded me of a particular curriculum that would support others to really step I call it, step beyond the human experience. So it was like, tell me more, just like you said. Because right? they know, they, they hooked me with the beyond human experience because I was, I was always insistent on saying to people, as appropriate, right? Because when someone is really in the middle of the wounded story, it's it can come across as oh my god she's so out there if i go in and say to them you're not your wound you're not your story let's move beyond that and that moving beyond it actually solves the problem um i will add that i refuse to see people in their wounded state i hold the highest from the moment they come no matter what the story i'm hearing it i'm tracking it i know the story before they come even but simultaneously what I do, I pull up their hologram, which is pure, and I hold that always as the template of what the truth is. And then within two or three sessions, I show them or help them to connect to that. But the mystery school, the guides asked me to do the mystery school for the beings who are, um, I call them my masters. The earth masters so the people who go through my mystery school are their healers their seers they're the gifted ones who are here and they have active practices or they want to step into offering their gifts 
and they want to remember more of themselves as say a galactic one or a star seed or and so the mystery school supports them to return home to these aspects of themselves and is that like a set curriculum or is it like a, a individualized way that you work with people it's a set curriculum to make the left brain happy For, there are currently 14 programs in the mystery school i think there's a last one the stellar codes that have been coming in so there will be 15 and what I've noticed with the mystery school is even though I can give people a roadmap of all 14, I go, here is the roadmap. Here's what we're going to cover. It becomes a really individualized experience because for example, the cosmic magician, I don't know which star beans is going to show up for Tim or for Tiana. So it becomes a real individualized experience even though the map will make the left brain happy. Okay, I'm going to connect with star beings. I'm going to do this. Then it takes a turn. So I usually say to people, be in the great mystery, be in the openness, be in beginner's mind, because we never know who is going to show up to support you. And people, people like that. And I like observing that too, because it keeps it fun. <laughs> That sounds fascinating, actually. <laughs> I kind of want to know which star beings would show up for me. Yours. The ones who have the, the ones who, you know, Tim, it's so interesting. Um, people cry. I, I mean, I've seen more tears shed in the mystery schools. And it's just these, it's tears of gratitude and remembrance. People come back and they'll say to me, because uh, we work in these etheric temples, uh, They'll say, my people came. They rem like for the first time, you know, at least in this incarnation, they remember that they're from Lyra because all the Lyrans came in into that particular session for them. Meaning, so it's, it's really, um, it's fascinating for me to see it, right? I'm a multidimensional bridge and I facilitate the, you know, different dimensions coming into a person's lived experience. And I am always in awe at all these dimensions. Like I learn, you know, it's a learning experience for me also, because I've met more counselors. They're not all mine, thank God. You know, we don't want to have all that work to do. But it's just fascinating to see all the different councils and sub-councils and priestess lineages and so on, that they just show up in full-on presence for their person, for their Tim. They, and they'll say, you're one of ours. And Tim comes back and he's in tears because he remembers that these are his comrades. He, is, he has only left his seat in this lifetime to come to earth, right? And he hasn't left it because he's still existing in that dimension. And so it's very interesting for people to start seeing that there is only one tiny part of themselves existing in any dimension, including the planet Earth at any given time. And so that's, that's part of what happens there too, which is great. And most importantly, they get the gifts. They'll come back and go, oh, in, in that dimension, 
I know how to heal or I know how to um, do light language there you know I know how to remember the codes of the stars and, and so on so they go on to live in ways that are more conscious right as opposed to a forgotten piece of self hanging out in another dimension with so much gifts to offer to support the human experience Again, you said something and I kind of grabbed onto it, <laughs> which you'd said like, or which priestess lineage. And I remember seeing in your website that you had like a pathway of high priestess program. Can you tell us a little bit about what, uh, what you cover in that? Yeah. The pathway of the high priestess is probably, it's probably the finest work that the elders have brought <laughs> to my awareness to do. It was actually the elders, it was the great mother herself. And how do we how do we talk about the great mother? When she showed up to me five years ago, she told me first of all, she says, I exist beyond all the hundred and eight names that you people want to chant to me, right? And she said, I want you to call my daughters home to me. She gave this whole discourse, and I read this discourse to each person who's going through that high priestess path and there's just <laughs> there's just tears because it it liberates the divine feminine from all these various roles that <laughs> we've taken on or been given and there is a moment of beginning to return to I call it the throne the seat her seat and the pathway of the high priestess is the great mother wearing 13 of her countless faces that comes in and activate a particular aspect of herself within each of her daughter. So for example, the activation of Lakshmi on that particular day the daughter seats herself once again as the prosperous aspect of the great mother. So it's the great mother <laughs> splitting herself. And it's interesting because with each activation which takes place in the etheric temple of the great mother, she shows up full on as that face, the prosperous mother or the wise mother or the fierce mother, or however she's showing up. And the activations are given as sacred geometry light codes, which is one of the tools, the multidimensional tools that I work with. But it's her hands that's installing that sacred geometry. Within that high priestess lineage, people begin to remember other lifetimes when they were part of priestess lineages, whether in Greece or in um, Babylonia um, in Ishtar's time or the Egypt in Sekhmet's time or, or whatever. So um, I like to say that the, the, the divine feminine, she walks out into the world very differently, not in a false way of, I'm gonna have to try to be this or she doesn't have to try to be anything because she's once again taken her seat and she remembers herself as none of these titles or you know 
part-time personalities that we all take on to to help us to to deal with the human experience she remembers herself as a child of the great mother and she remembers herself as having the right to sit in her seat to take her seat beautiful i'm curious i don't know this is just silly but because we're souls and of course regardless of what gender body we are in this lifetime you know i remember past lives of being both male and female and non-human and <laughs> i'm just curious do you ever have men do the program or is it pretty much those that are embodied in a female body this lifetime that are seeking a you know priestess path yeah i have not had um None of my men have, have stepped forward yet. And I would absolutely say yes if they did. But so far, only the ones who are in a female body or who identify as female in this lifetime. There's plenty there for the divine masculine. Right. <laughs> they, yeah. they take all their programs. They're drawn to the magician's program, right? There's something mm -hmm. about being a magician. Yeah, I would not be surprised, though, if, if you did have males come to you for that, because, you know, right now it's interesting what's happening in our culture, too. To me, what seems like is happening is that we're remembering our androgynous self, the part of us that doesn't have a gender or a conceptualized idea of sexuality. And so I think people come in, especially the younger people, they're coming into the earth and they're like, hey, I, I don't know what this thing is that you're calling a sexual identity. So they're just like kind of more fluid with it. And uh, I think you'll see a, a more normalization of that as time progresses too. And it's the same with everything really, like our differences are just becoming like kind of a backdrop, you know, instead of like right up in your face. And I think to get to that point, we have to kind of like work through some of the kinks too, you know, because it's kind of a rocky road too when you talk about people's appearance or their gender or whatever it might be, whatever kind of difference we have where we perceive to have. I think that, you know, pretty soon people will just be like, well, whatever, <laughs> you know, because I'm, yeah, because yeah, that's just like this little tiny piece of me that you're seeing, you know, it's not, it's not really who I really am. So yeah, it's, it is definitely a, an interesting time. So you also mentioned earlier that you had an ayahuasca experience where you had a, a near death. And so <laughs> since you said it, I kind of do want to hear that story. And how big of a role do plant medicines and ceremonies like that play in your life? Yeah. Tim, I will. The divinized human is, is the sacred androgyne. So you're right. There's no gender. The divinized human in that state of pure light, which um, is the grand finale, right, is an androgyne. So plant medicine, ayahuasca, I'm a shaman. So, and I'm not saying, you know, I, not every shaman takes ayahuasca, but if you're a shaman, chances are <laughs> ayahuasca has been a part of your journey. And it really has been a part of mine. The jungle shamans believe that the medicine, she should not leave the jungle. She changes. Her frequency changes. Her energy changes. Yeah, when I've done ayahuasca in the jungle, it's very different from when I've done it outside of the jungle. And I'm not here to judge either. I prefer to do it in the jungle. That's my takeaway, having done both. What I have seen with grandmother 
and that was true for me and I've witnessed it for others is that she really cuts the the pain she cuts through the to the deep deep deepest deepest wounds held in the pain body or really in any of the subtle bodies and cuts down the learning curve very quickly she shows you the things you don't want to see right she showed she she showed me the gnarliest parts of myself that i was in denial about but they were really preventing me from from living in the way that i should what's beautiful about ayahuasca is she shows it to you and then she removes it and so she doesn't just show you and let you hang out in the gnarliness of, oh my God, I'm like a swamp creature. She then goes in and chips that away and allows for the, um, the light, more light to come in. And these are my words. Um, so I absolutely believe in the value of ayahuasca done properly. That's the caveat. It should be really supervised properly. I am not a fan of just everybody hosting ayahuasca. Um, I really believe in the right hands and in the right um, container that it is very valuable. I have done mushrooms, but I don't know as much about mushroom. It wasn't a part of my shamanic journey. It was um, ayahuasca, so that I could speak on quite a bit. Yeah. Are you comfortable with letting us know about the... the uh near-death experience then and you know how, what kind of an impact that it had on you in your life oh, for sure one of my last pieces one of the biggest ego things that I had to overcome was the control freak I just you know I was a little girl I had stuff that was done to me outside that I couldn't control so my overcompensation for that was you know I liked to be in control of my world and there's a certain point where control messes up the journey it did so for me and I knew that I was been called to release control. And this was about 18, 18 years ago. I'd done years of Jungian therapy, shadow work, I've done you know, all that stuff. But still the control, that part in me that needed to be in control, which prevented me from surrendering to the <laughs> to life, to all of it, was holding on so strongly. So I went to an ayahuasca ceremony, and this was in in Altadena, Pasadena, California. And this was been done by a Mexican shaman, Corindaro, and she was a third generation, highly, just highly skilled, well recommended. And I knew showing up for that ceremony that the control thing would be, I'd be eyeball to eyeball with it. And I almost didn't go. I wanted so badly not to go. But I did anyway because I was afraid. Um, shamans are self-referencing. And one of the things that shamans are good at, we track, we track our own destiny. We are trackers. So I could see what was coming around the pike for me if I didn't transcend this piece where the control, the ego in its most controlling form, was doing so much distorted stuff in my life. 
Yeah, so I went. I'm obedient. And the second, first night of ceremony, all the gnarlies came up and cleared them. Second night of ceremony, I started having this feeling like it was going to be big medicine, is what shamans call it. Whenever we're walking into something that we know an aspect of the self will die, it's like big medicine. And so we did ayahuasca and then I started, I needed to go outside and there was all this nature and all that outside. So the one, the curandara came out with me. Her husband was inside doing the, his thing with the rest of the group. And I just started saying to her, I don't feel well. Um, my journey is feeling really weird. And she said to me, okay, let's do, let's give you some rapé. And rapé is it's the most awful thing ever. I, you feel you really have you had rapé? It's just I have. I know what you're oh talking about. Oh my goodness! And I want I, anything to get me over the hump because I was stuck. And being stuck in like the samsara of an ayahuasca journey is like awful. It's like you're just in the churn and you don't know what to do. So I said, please. So she said, all right, lie on the ground, come on, you know, come back. She gave me the rapé, and immediately I lost all sensations in my body. I felt myself, I, I knew, I'm a nurse, I knew I was, you know, I lost all sensation, I had no sense of my body, and I could hear her saying, I could hear when she panicked, and she started calling her husband, and they started piling blankets on me, and I completely... I was like, I could feel myself. I went up into this, it wasn't white light, it was this place of golden light. It was this realm of the great central sun type thing. And I could see my body on the floor, on the ground of this place. And I heard when she said to her husband, put another blanket on her, there's no... I could hear all this, but I could hear it from watching her. And the one thought came through very clearly. I said, I'm going to die here and my kids will be devastated. I have two kids and they were little at the time, but I was quite prepared. It was fine. It, it would have been okay. That was like my only human regret that my kids would miss me when I, you know, and went into this golden light portal place right there at the gate of the white light and the great mother again it's always her it's always back to her she's my biggest teacher she said to me you're not coming but you need to surrender now surrender to me and i i said i surrender and i trust and when i came back to the people around me because by now there, there's crowd around me some of the people who had gotten to that place in their journey where they could walk around they came out because they knew something was happening and they said they heard when i said i surrender and i trust and then i started feeling sensations back in my body i was back back to earth and um there we were so that was my surrender ayahuasca journey and yeah, I've become a wuss ever since. If there is something that's asking me to surrender, I'm like, yes, yes, I'll do, I'll do it right now.
We don't have to. Wow, that four by four. That that is intense. That is an intense yeah. experience for sure. Yeah, that trust and surrender constantly comes up in the spiritual journey. Although I haven't had to have the near death experience, but certainly I've been through a dark night of soul, and that was all that it was about. It's like I had to trust and surrender, trust and surrender, even when everything looks like <laughs> everything has fallen apart and nothing you do seems to make better. All you can do is finally trust and surrender to the divine and be guided back to where you need to be. I'm glad that Tim asked you that story. It's beautiful, powerful. Thank you. Yeah, my surrender moment. That's the greatest surrender of my life. I also found something fascinating also. Um, the ego I discovered then too is not holding us hostage we're actually holding the ego hostage it was fascinating to to witness that where the poor ego it just wants to return to the knowing of itself as all light and the human outside of surrender and being trapped in the free will the hamster wheel is also keeping the ego hostage so that was a perspective shift for me because oftentimes we hear about this ego has been, you know, the ego is doing this to us and we're trapped with the ego. Actually, it's the human that's keeping the ego stuck in, as, you know, because as long as the human is in this spin um, of control freakery, the poor ego has to, to play a role. So my ego was so relieved that it didn't have to be on duty anymore because I, I that is a, that's a really interesting perspective, too, that I've never really heard, you know, is that we're kind of keeping the ego in its place and doing its thing where it gets us caught in this loop, like this cycle of like control and, and constant worry and effort. And yeah, that's that's super interesting because Eckhart Tolle, he says that the ego is just doing its job when it worries and causes these concerns because that's what its role is, is to keep us safe. But if we let it take over, then it can be like really controlling and, and over exert itself right in our lives. And, but there is a part of us that, that lets that happen or that wants that to happen on some degree. You know, it's like we're, we're making this situation or we're letting the situation get out of control. So that's a, that's an interesting perspective. I like that, but it's a challenge, you know, it's a, it's always a challenge whatever circumstances in life you have, it's funny how, how that works is like, you don't have to have a near death experience like you did, but there's going to be some way that it shows up in your life, right? Like it might be, maybe you lose your home or your belongings or something. And then it shows you like, Hey, you need to trust, like everything's going to be fine still, even though you seem to think that it won't be, we have some situation that comes up for us in our own unique way to help us learn these lessons. And it's, I find that fascinating about life. And it's hard to remember too, when you're in the moment, like, Hey, you know, this is just part of what I needed to go through. But, you know, at that time, it seems like the end of the world is what it seems like in many cases, but um, at least for me. You have to see beyond the illusion. <laughs> Usually our guests yes. like to drop that in there, but like I, when you're saying that, I was like, oh yes, we have to, you know, that's the human experience is 
so true. <laughs> way to get through the human experience <laughs> is to see beyond the illusion. This whole, it's, it's fascinating to look at this whole dance that's happening here in the 3D world and see it for the illusion that it is and not, <laughs> and, and to free ourselves pretty over and over. I'm constantly freeing myself of these loops of this illusion. And you know, Tim, I also see the ego as this riddler. The ego loves to give us another lollipop or another card that keeps us trapped in this thing of, okay, here's another lollipop for you. Here's another card for you to distract the human from remembering itself. So in, a, in an interesting way, as much as the ego wants to be free, it also doesn't want us to be free. So it's a place of consciousness and awareness. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, also, I wanted to ask you about this, too. On your website, you have some stuff about being a conscious creator and about manifestation. And I know that's a pretty big topic right now in our in our pop culture. And I'm kind of curious about what your thoughts are on, on that and, and how you assist people in that. Yeah, thank you. For the longest time, I... I call it, I did the dance of the collective where I colluded with people in the wounded state because I know that that is, that's very near and dear to people's hearts, our stories, and it's true. We, we've earned them. We've earned all of our scars and everything. But what I began to realize and put in practice was I, I could no longer hold people hostage and collude with the wounds, with the stories. And so I really began to shift into, it's like that hang, hangman card, right? The hangman is, is, um, has reached enlightenment. His crown is glowing. But the hangman just need to flip around and now go do it, be it. And so we're conscious creators and we create, it, we create all of it. We create the crazy stuff. But the beautiful thing about that is that we also have an opportunity to create beauty and joy and peace and prosperity. <laughs> so I, I started to think, you know, what if that's what's highlighted as opposed to going with the flow and highlighting we're healing this, we're healing that. And something magical began to happen when I started saying to my clients, hey, <laughs> the healing will happen. Things will go away. But let us, without just me going into the light of the quantum field and clearing stuff and resetting stuff, let's do it together. And I, my regret is that I didn't do that sooner. I had so many conversations with you know, with friends of mine, like Lewis and Bianca and so on, Tally, you know, and, but I was a little bit timid about saying that to the people I worked with. I started realizing that I was also holding my clients hostage to the small human when I colluded with it. So I started saying to them, hey, you are a creator. That's your most powerful 
gift from the divine. Let's put it into practice in a way that will serve you as opposed to a way that's not serving you. So I'll take them into the quantum field with me. I place people back in their wave state and we go there together. It's so gratifying because things start disappearing. The time that I would spend on their so-called healing <laughs> shortens and so on. So that's my, I call that my grand finale of, of the message that's so important. You're infinite. You're a conscious creator. You can create something else, I promise you. So we start with a very powerful creation code statement. And I place that in a, in a sacred geometry form. We go into the quantum field together. And all they need to do is hold their code statement in their, like, this is, this is my only reality in this moment. Which when they're in the field, when they're in presence, that's all that they can hold. Everything else falls away anyway. And so sure enough, we come out of the field and things like my headache of 30 years went away. I no longer have migraines. I no longer have this. I no longer have that. And it's been magic. So I've gotten more bold, Tim, because I've been seeing that this is going over real well. So this is, this is now like the centerpiece. And I believe that we're all ready for this conversation now. And certainly the people who are drawn to me, they're not drawn to me because they want me to be the normal girl. I'm not normal. <laughs> I'm actually really glad I asked you that because we just ran out of time. I think everything that you have to offer is really unique and beautiful. And I want our listeners to know where they can get in touch with you. Can you please let them know? Yes. So I am all over social media. I on Twitter, I'm Sovereign Self Love. On Facebook, it's the Temple of Alchemy and Illumination. And my website is www.thetempleofalchemyandillumination.com. I love that name, Temple of Alchemy and Illumination, which perfectly describes the approach that you take, which is to alchemize things and to illuminate is the power that we all have to shift so thank you so much it was such a pleasure to have you here thank you thank you so much Tim and Tiana yes thank you so much thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond the Illusion I'd like to say thank you very much to Lisan Mullings for taking the time to talk with us and for sharing her gifts and knowledge with us if you'd like to find out more about Lisan or book a session with her, you can find her at thetempleofalchemyandillumination.com. Thanks to our executive producer, Tiana Roser. Music by Casey Henson. Editing, production, and narration by Tim Howe. For more information or to access past episodes, please visit beyondtheillusionpodcast.com. And lastly, if you're enjoying this podcast, remember to subscribe and leave a rating. This will help other people find us. Take care.